Welcome to Opsy, a podcast for people doing Opsy work in tech. I'm your host, Carol Griffin. And every month, I dig into what Opsy work really is by talking to an operations pro who has something really cool to teach us. In a traditional part of ops like HR or finance, or a newer specialty like no-code ops or marketing ops. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm here with Nicole Vasquez, entrepreneur, community builder, former chief people officer, and now COO. Nicole is probably best known as the co-founder of DeskPass, a popular product for finding flexible co-working spaces all over the world. But she recently stepped back from her full-time role there as chief people officer and into a new role as COO of Refresh Miami. I was lucky enough to cross paths with Nicole a decade ago when we both lived in Chicago, back when she was running her own physical co-working spaces and was just one of those people that you see everywhere because she knows everyone and just really embodies that community builder persona that I so admire. I've really enjoyed following the twists and turns of Nicole's careers because she's one of those people who makes career moves that I wouldn't necessarily expect it watching from the outside, but totally makes sense afterwards. I think she really stays true to herself and what she's looking for and where she can have the most impact. And I think like a lot of us, it took her a while to realize that she had secretly been an operations pro the whole time. So suffice to say, I'm excited for this episode because I know Nicole has so much advice and perspective to share. Settle in for a good one. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. Yes, so excited to chat, not only because I get a chance to catch up with you, which is always nice, but because I just feel like a lot of people will relate to your story and kind of the twists and turns that your career has taken. So, you know, let's start where we always do at the beginning. So can you tell us a little bit about your career journey so far? Well, you said it first by saying that the twists and turns. So I always say the disclaimer, which I think career is like a choose your own adventure and that doors appear in the video game of life when you've achieved a certain set of skills or experiences or your gut is just saying it's time to move on. So I've been an advocate for that. The frog jumping on different lily pads when the time is right. So with that, I'll go very quickly and say that in my early careers, I was employed in a variety of business operational roles that basically gave me insight into every aspect of running a business, sales and marketing, business and administration. Actually, the one part that I didn't was finance. That's still like my, uh, what is it like? The, 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 the Achilles heel or the, the thing where you're like, no, the right? thing that like makes you sigh. <laughs> yes, but there's numbers people for that, right? So I, I yeah. you know, admit that. I appreciate yeah, that, so I, that you're not a numbers person because it gives me like, that's my thing. Like, that's my thing where I'm like, yes, yep. when the people person isn't a numbers person, I get to do the numbers. So, you know, yes. like, you know, yes. peanut butter and jelly and, over here. <laughs> exactly. And that's okay. And I say that and, you know, know your strengths and don't obsess over your weaknesses, right? Yeah. So, you know, I was employed until I was the age of 29. I'm in different mm-hmm. business operations roles. And for me, you know, like the lily pads of life, the role that I was in, I would go to the next one. And it wasn't always the exact the same industry. It was that I took those skills and said, okay, I want to apply this to a different job. Um, and then at 29, I quit my job, started my first co-working space in Chicago. And that's where everything, like, I think I really charted the rest of my path because I fell in love with co-working and community building and bringing people together. So very quickly, I started a co-working space in Chicago. That was successful. Then I had a second one and I ended up starting and selling both of those in Chicago. But then I was approached by a friend of mine to start DustPass, which is a global network of co-working spaces and worked on that and scaled that with my team for six years. And then just recently, about in November of 2022, I had a proud mama moment where I looked at my company, DustPass, and I said, the company's doing fantastic. The team is amazing. They're, they operate like a well-oiled machine, but they're humans, right? So I don't like calling them a machine, but they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're a fantastic team. And I had this moment where I was like, 
if I was to transition now, out now, like it would be okay. They'd all be in a good spot. And I was starting to feel like I was ready for the next challenge, which brings me to now being the COO of Refresh Miami, which is Miami's oldest and largest organization supporting the technology and startup ecosystem here in Miami. So after almost a decade of being an entrepreneur, I am now an employee, a proud employee (laughs) because I brought my skills and experience to an organization that I love and is mission driven. And I'm bringing that startup mentality, that move fast and make a difference mentality. And the organization's like, whoa, 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 we haven't moved this fast in years. <laughs> but they, yeah. they love it and they're amazing people. And, you know, I think it's great. I mean, even a year ago, I would have never thought I'd be employed again, but my heart said it. And I had that proud mom moment where I said, it's okay to move on from a great company that you helped to build. Yeah, no, totally. I relate to that. And I'm sure other people have too. Six years is a long time, especially in tech, yeah. even when it is your baby, you know, even when it is something you've built from the ground up, you know, at the end of the day, like you could look for new challenges and new problems to solve, but it's still the same core business, you know, yeah. and sometimes yeah. we're just ready for something new. And um, I think while preparing for this episode, I, I didn't even, first of all, I didn't realize we went to that. We have the same alma mater, like totally missed that. Yes. <laughs> we both went to Columbia. And then yep. I also didn't realize too, like, you know, you've worked in like government, you've started mm-hmm. your own like kind of brick and mortar businesses. You yep worked in tech and now you're at a nonprofit. Like I, <laughs> I mean, I love that. Cause I do feel like you've really just like followed. I, and I love the analogy of like leaping between the, like on lily pads. Like that's yeah. like such a cool little analogy. Because for, it like, wasn't a straight what works line. It was a lateral move. I was gonna, like, I was gonna say, I'm gonna make yeah. a sports reference. My husband's not going <laughs> to believe it, but like, I think in, I'm pretty sure in football, there's a way that you could throw <laughs> the ball like laterally. <laughs> I am not like, the one to ask, but I love this. <laughs> okay. But I was like, I was thinking like that where it's like, I'm moving forward, but it's kind of like a tangential move. So it's like a, a diagonal. So, because yeah. it, and it helps you to zigzag. So I've definitely done that in my career where I've leveraged where I was to go mm-hmm. to something else. So like it was instead of going straight to the next, you know, big promotion in that exact line of work, I was yeah. like, let me change a little bit, get a little bit more, you know, senior level, but do something slightly different. And that's allowed me to, and I like that. And it works for me. Look, I'm a proud generalist, right? I love knowing a lot about a lot of different things at its core. I do operations, but I like different things. And I have a friend who's an amazing expert in this one very specific thing. And she has done all like the exact straight line career and that's worked for her. So I always like to say, you know, follow a little bit of your personality with your past experiences, with what, you want to be doing next and go for it, right? Manifest that. So I it sounds a little Tony Robbins-esque, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great because I think there are, you know, there are established paths for that, like kind of traditional climbing up the ladder, going from mm-hmm. manager to assistant director to director to, you know, VP to, you know, whatever. But I think like so often we like get laser focused on those, you yeah. know, like climbing that ladder and realizing like, wait, is this actually what I want? Do I just, am I interested in this? Am I excited by this? And so I always really appreciate talking to people who have followed, you know, the lily pads yeah, <laughs> as the yeah. case would be no matter where those are. So let's dive into DustPass a little bit. It sounds like it was your first real like startup or like tech company per se, but you had been around tech for a while. And I'm sure, you know, obviously you'd been a longtime entrepreneur, but I'm sure the, your co-working spaces that you were spending all your time in were full of tech people too. So, you know, tell us a little bit about why you made the jump to co-founder of a startup when Sam approached you with opportunity. It's interesting that you bring up, you know, always being around tech and you're right, because as an entrepreneur of a brick and mortar place, I was always going to events and you know, you meet all these tech people and you're in tech and your business, right? Every business this day is run, ran on tech. My first co-working space, actually, 
I was trying to be revolutionary and have it where you could book shifts. That's why it was called the shift. So I was like, we're going to leverage tech to be able to book your working sessions. And then I was like, oh, people just want to come in all day. Okay, let's get rid of the scheduling aspect. But yeah, I mean, look, I think my thing is that I say is it's a human component of business. So I run all, and even though I'm individually a very tech savvy person, I'm a quick learner. And as an individual entrepreneur of a business, and the only, I mean, for almost two years, I was the only employee of my very first business. So I had to do it. I was the IT, right, for a physical space. And I also, I, I created our website, right? I think like, you know, using a Squarespace or Wix. So like, you have to dive into tech on your own as an entrepreneur. And of course, though, once you get to a certain size, you need to have more evolved and mature technology and processes in place. But ultimately, what I loved is when my business partner, Sam, approached me, he owned a design company. He had he was a technologist. So he was like, I have the technology and I can create, we can create, I can easily create the technology. I need the people side. And he he's like, you have a brick and mortar co-working space. You're amazing at operations. You're amazing at community building. Let's partner up. And it was like peanut butter and jelly, like you said earlier, right? So I had the human side of the business and he was a technology side. So that was what was most appealing. And I mean, in my days of throughout DustPass, you know, over six years, I oversaw our customer service team building out our network of co-working spaces, meaning literally one by one, inviting co-working spaces, getting them onboarded until we had, you know, a larger team that was able to help out with that all the internal employee, you know, and I don't have a HR background. I mean, HR is very technical. And I always say that I mean, no discredit or anything to HR because their work is so hard. But what I mean is like, I had to learn HR. And I think that there's a little bit of an aspect of when you are a people operations person, you inherently understand some aspects of HR, obviously not all the accredited stuff, because that's very hard and takes a lot of work. But I think company culture, running a company, if you are an inherent people ops person, you can you can learn that quickly. So, I mean, I was our HR director. I was our people operations. So I was always the human aspect of the business and the voice of DeskPass, whether to our customers, our partners, our service providers. So, yeah, the voice, I guess. <laughs> Not that I have a great voice, but, you know. <laughs> I think everyone listening will, will... We can all cheer Nicole on and tell her she has a great voice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally on a podcast right now. Saying Should I sing? No, I'm just <laughs> Maybe maybe at the end, maybe we'll oh, like gosh. sing out, you know, okay. <laughs> get ready, warm up your pipe. <laughs> but no, I mean, I feel like what you're speaking to of wearing all of these hats is such the ops role and such a generalist mm-hmm. role. Like you said, you know, every entrepreneur has to be a generalist, especially in the beginning when you don't have the funds or the resources for, for a team to be the onsite IT, yeah. you know, to, to do all that. And it sounds like you were really uniquely positioned for DeskPass because you knew what co-working space owners yeah. wanted. You knew what people who, you know, just wanted to co-work wanted. And so it, it's a very cool lily pad hop. I'm really going to beat analogy to death because I like it. And it's well, so it, perfect. It so. reminds me, actually, there was a woman that I think it was a LinkedIn post that I had. And she said, I love seeing co-founders that are chief people operations. She goes, I hardly see that. Mm-hmm. You usually see co-founders that are CEO, COO, CTO, or CFO, right? Because that's why you- or a CTO, lot of CTO, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they, yeah, exactly. But Never they- Never chief people officer. Exactly. Yeah. And I- it didn't hit me just because I wasn't in the traditional HR realm. I didn't come from that mm-hmm. background, but she had. And I think she said something like the companies that I see that are the most successful are people who have co-founders that care about the people versus just the the numbers or the operations of the business. And that always stuck with me because for me, in my background, people is the number one thing. And I'm not saying that someone who comes from a technical background doesn't put people first. It's just my businesses were always based on accommodating people, gathering people, community building. And so for me, I just can't imagine a a company that doesn't put the human component first. But yeah, 
that it's just my own, you know, background. Yeah, so. no, I mean, I, I totally agree. And actually I'll have to put it in the show notes. I had re- somewhat recently read a really interesting article that we kind of cross posted on Opsy with the author support. She's the CEO. I, f- I forget her name. So apologies again, I'll put it in the notes, but she's the COO of Whereby, which is mm. kind of like a video conferencing tool. And her background is, is people operations. Mm. So she basically laid out this, but she also, I think, went to law school. And so mm. she has kind of like a law degree. Yep. She has, you know, different skills, kind of like you and came in and was like really making this case for why more people ops people should be like the chief operations officer mm. and why they should be, you know, either. And I think in your case, you know, at Deskpack, I mean, now you're CEO at Deskpack, you weren't the CEO, but you were still, you were a co-founder, you yep. were C-suite, you like had a real big, you know, mm-hmm. seat at the table, right? Yeah. And I think that's normally something that we don't see. And so regardless of whether it's a CPO or a COO, like the importance of that, I hope is something that we as an industry can like really wrap our brains around. <laughs> yeah. And it should be noticed to noted that I had three male business partners and they are all incredible humans. I mean, big advocates of women. I mean, I always joke like my two of my business partners had kids before I had a kid and they were the ones, they were the Mr. Moms on the calls with the kids running in. And it was awesome. I mean, they were the ones juggling and saying, I can't make this meeting. I'm sorry. Our nanny is sick today. And that for me was a huge eye opener. That was just one big thing. But I mean, going back to being the only woman in, in leadership and as a co-founder, there were so many times that they were like, wow, thank you for bringing that perspective as the human aspect of the business. But then I think also the female plays a, a role into that, right? I mean, the, yeah. sometimes we have very different thinking. And so I thought that was a very nice mix. And I obviously, I felt the same way a lot of times. They brought perspectives at the table that I hadn't, of course, considered. And so I thought that was really great to have that as a founding team. Yeah, totally. And like, again, just speaking to why that diversity is so important. Because yeah. Just- when you don't have that in the conversation, so many things can get overlooked, right? So, you know, in addition to being co-founder of Despass, like you said, you were the chief people officer for a long time. Um, what were your favorite parts about it? What was, and what was most challenging, I guess, on the flip side? And it's interesting because when we first started Despass, it was like the, if anybody knows the app, ClassPass. It was the ClassPass yeah. for co-working. So when we started Despass, we were B2C, you know, direct to consumer. I was actually the chief community officer. So I was brought on board to bring our co-working spaces as partners and then also our members, the users of the app, because these were individuals who were signing up for themselves. So that was a whole different ballgame, right? It was bringing those Mm -hmm. people were just, they were similar to the people in a co-working space where they wanted to meet other people. They wanted to network. They were growing their business, you know, and so that was for a few years. And so I managed the community and that was general, you know, basic general community building practices. But when we switched to B2B, you know, we were business to business product. We, our members changed quickly. These were employees of a corporation, of an enterprise. And to be honest, they didn't care to collaborate with other people. They didn't care to network. They weren't there. This was a benefit that their company provided them. And so that's when I transitioned to chief people officer, because when we were no longer direct to consumer, we didn't really need the member community. So I changed hats from chief community officer and I had to change all the things we were doing. I mean, I was managing you know, our interactions with our members, we were building out this online portal for them. Then we switched to business. We had to be honest and say, you know what? They don't need this. We were going to keep our online portal for the business members and they weren't going to use it. So we didn't do that. So I quickly switched over to chief people officer. And look, let's be honest. My team was 20 employees. Chief people officer is usually a role for a larger company, 50 plus employees. Mm -hmm. Um, So I switched to chief people officer and I was kind of like this hybrid role of HR director meets head of customer service, meets a little bit of operations, meets project manager. So in a sense, the only part of chief people operations in general that I didn't really get into was a lot of people analytics, which is 
what I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. once we got to a certain level. And then very technical HR. Because again, I'm not classically trained in HR. That's really hard. There's so much, you know, information and accreditation. And I wasn't going to try to pretend to to be that HR because that stuff needs to be taken seriously. So I did a lot of company culture. Like I said, any communication with our customer service. But for me, what I loved about Chief People Officer was, again, just the human component and making sure that both internally, our employees were, I don't like saying the word happy, maybe engaged, satisfied, mission-driven, determined, and supported, I think is the biggest thing. So internally, it was making sure our employees were supported. And then externally, making sure that we were truly being a partner to our partners. I mean, we have more than 1,500 almost 2,000 co-working spaces that we partner with around the world and making sure that we have a mutually beneficial relationship with them, not a, you know, a, a take relationship. So that was the other kind of role of that. But yeah, so my chief people operations role really evolved. And, and it's even when I left, you know, it, it was still not a true chief people operations role in the sense of a company, maybe that would be double our size. Yeah, no, but that totally makes sense. Like you adapted to the size of your company and really made the role your own Mm -hmm. and also like what your company needed, Mm -hmm. right? Like what DeskPass needed at various times. And I think that is a lot of operations. Like my role, you know, even if my title doesn't change a lot of times, my I feel like my role changes every six Mm -hmm. months because the business changes and the, you know, who we've hired and what the business needs are different. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's nice to acknowledge that because sometimes it feels like no one else is admitting that, but we're all kind of doing it. So I would love to to chat a little bit about about DeskPass as a team because you were fully remote, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people were remote. I mean, you've been a digital nomad for yeah. so many years, right? Before the pandemic. I mean, the joke is like we were remote before it was cool, right? Before before, before yeah. we were forced <laughs> to be remote majority. But no, I mean, we've been remote. I've been a remote worker for almost a decade. You know, DeskPass has been remote since the inception. So building out that, I mean, it's a global team, right? We have teammates. Literally, we had one in Australia and in California. And then everything in between there. But I mean, a remote team is hard, but when you've been doing it for a long time, it's almost second nature. But then also, I mean, look, at its core, DustPass is a hybrid work solution. We give people and companies the ability to choose where they get their work done by giving them access to workspaces. So we were using our product. We were the exact people who needed a product like ours. But ultimately, I mean, remote work, for me, it's empowering people to make those choices and giving them the support they need to be able to make those choices. For example, giving them a stipend to book co-working spaces near their home so they can be closer to their kid's school or that they don't have to have a one-hour commute. There's also remote team policies that we put in place. Like, look, you can go and travel for two weeks, but if you're going to have your hours significantly different, that's something to discuss with your manager in advance. Or if you're going to be in a very, very remote place where you're really not going to have internet, yeah, that's something to discuss. But ultimately, if you want to go to Germany, you know, for two weeks, then that's that's fine, right? And also, you know, little remote work policy things like it's it, we don't require we didn't require people to sync their Google Calendar with their Slack to show if they were in a meeting, but we showed them how to do it if they wanted to, and the majority of our employees did it because they knew that. That way, when they're in a meeting and they see that Slack message come in, they're not worried like, oh, no, this person's going to think I'm ignoring them, right? They, they'll see that yeah. I'm in a meeting. And then, of course, you know, as you're familiar with, asynchronous communication. So for me, I mean, I wrote our entire employee handbook by hand, by, I don't know, like from the top of my head, and instead of taking it from somewhere else and kind of customizing it. And the reason is, is I wanted to document almost what we were already doing, but then put it into writing because we already had such great team practices. So now we have a handbook that explains 
you know, the remote policies, FAQs, and sometimes like a new employee will, would come on and be like, so you say that our, our schedule is flexible. Like, what if I do have a doctor's appointment? Should I tell my manager? Do I need to tell him or her why I have a doctor's appointment? And it was like, no, like if it's only an hour, you know, it's okay. You don't have to tell anyone. Put We advise you to put it on your calendar so nobody tries to reach out to you or schedule something, you know, a week in advance yeah. during that time. But you don't have to share that with us. And we trust that you'll make up that hour when you're able to, right? And ultimately you still deliver on the things you have to get done. Now, if you're going to be offline for four, six hours in the middle of a workday, then yeah, please let your manager know. And, and if it affects any projects that you're working, please just let them know. But we trust that you can coordinate that with your team. It's it's almost like very basic honesty communication. It's almost like in a healthy relationship, yeah. you can communicate things easily with your partner and it doesn't have to be hard. I mean, if you have good communication, yeah. things work well and that's how it is. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like we're trying to like overthink these like very basic common sense things, but also, you know, as someone who's also scaled a business, you get that like the more people you add, the more you realize, Oh, I feel like that's common yes. sense, but like, you, have to okay, document sure. it. you know, and so you have to document it, but I like that you started with what you already yeah. had, right? I feel like so many people approach company values and an employee handbook in the same way where they, it's aspirational. Yes, what we should be um, doing. <laughs> and you kind of start with what we should be doing or what we think we believe. And it's like, no, let's start with what yep. we actually, what we actually have, you know, what we're actually doing and who we are. And then if we, if, if writing that causes us to have, take a hard look at ourselves and decide that's not what we want to be, then we can pivot. But so yeah, love that. And also the fact that you, you know, to circle back to something you said kind of a couple minutes ago about stopping the community dashboard, yeah. you know, that was like a big part of your role and loving it. Like you not glazed past it, but you went past it. And I'm like, wow, no, that that's hard yep. and something that like, when it is your big role. And I imagine something that you cared about as a community builder and as someone who'd been building that, it's hard to walk away from that and be like, this isn't what the business, you know, needs anymore. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about, I guess, like I imagine COVID had a really significant impact on DeskPass you know, in the beginning and, and now. And so would love to hear kind of how you've tackled those pivots as you, as you do. And it's interesting that you bring up the, you know, stopping the dashboard because I, that was not my idea. That was actually my business partner's idea. We were in a meeting because what was happening is when, as we had pivoted to B2B, I was still so in this community, you know, how do we now provide community? And I was, I, I went on this project of how do I provide community for enterprise employees? And I was busting my home doing that. And I was unable yeah. to, to take my head and look up and we were in a leadership meeting and I was trying, I was like, you know what? I'm really struggling. I'm here's what I, the plan I have in place. And my business partner just looked at me and was like, maybe we don't need the dashboard. Maybe we don't need this community. What, what if, if people don't want this, why do we still need? And he said in a very, you know, just a like it was a business strategy point that he made. Yeah. And I just, I immediately knew, I said, you are absolutely right. I mean, as a, I knew it wasn't needed. And and that's a beautiful thing to have those hard decisions, but coming from a place of trust and also what's best for the business. So that was interesting. And another reason I was okay with removing that is because we could support those company employees in a different way. So instead of me building this online portal where our individual consumer members could collaborate with each other, now enterprise employees just wanted to know very quickly how to use the product who else on their team is using it? So, so instead, we built out educational resources because that was the community support that those clients needed. It was very different than the other. So 
We just shifted that. And yeah, I think in COVID, looking back, I mean, look, COVID was terrifying. We, at that time, we were still B, B2C. When COVID hit, we shut down the entire business. We paused all of the reservations because we were not, we didn't have the health and safety requirements built out to support and communicate what spaces we're doing and for members to ask what was going to happen when they arrived at a space. So thankfully, as tech t- companies go, we had just raised our first seed round a few months before that. So what we did, we, we as a team, we said, we're going to pause all operations. We're going to hunker down. We are going to rapidly change our platform to accommodate for health and safety requirements. And about halfway through COVID, that's when we decided to pivot to B2B because we said companies are going to come back, but it's going to be, we bet on the future of work. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we pivoted right before, sorry, before COVID. But anyways, we hunkered down and we said, let's put people's safety first. And our members really appreciated that. And we did not have a lot of churn during COVID. A lot of members just said, we'll, we'll hang in there. Well, we rolled out a pause, but a lot of members chose to pause and said, look, we want to support you in the future based on the way that you handled it. And that was really meaningful to us. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And, you know, now I feel like DeskPass has really become kind of a, a leader in that hybrid workspace because, you know, as you said, like companies came back and that was great forethought of like, they're going to come back. People are going to want more flexibility and, and, you know, remote work so often people think of it as working from home, but I think you and I are a great testament to like, I never <laughs> work from home. Like I'm recording this podcast at home and, and then I'm going to go work at a cafe. Like I go to a different cafe every day or a co-working space. I know, you, you know, you're always bouncing around co-working spaces. So um, I like that variety and I know you do too. And so that flexibility, it's great that you built that out on that enterprise scale for employees who, especially those who like haven't worked exactly. for years, you know, and are, are trying to build those boundaries. Yeah. And exactly. I mean, so many people, it was the largest global work from home experiment that was COVID, right? And what did we see? There was not one industry that went down in flames because everybody worked remote, not one, right? It was overall the remote work experiment was successful. And it was successful in showing that companies could still reach their end goals. Employees could still be productive without being in this one singular location. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I do not believe in a one size fits all approach. I do not think all employees should be remote five days a week. I do not think all companies need to you know, have three days a week in the office. There is no one size fits all approach. I mean, the one thing I will say is that every company should figure out what's best for their company based on their employees their industry, what type of work they do, where their employees live. I mean, look, if you're a marketing agency, there's a lot of in-person collaboration, ideation, whiteboarding. That is a magical thing that happens in person. So they're probably going to be meeting in person more than let's say an accounting firm where a lot of that work can be done independently. And maybe they meet on a monthly basis together for company culture building, but not necessarily for team collaboration things. So what I love about remote work and what I love about this hybrid work that has emerged as the preferred solution for so many companies is that they're figuring out what what works best for them based on their employee needs, as well as the work that they do. And I think for me, that would be my recommendation going forward. So if I was the head of HR at a company, or a lot of times they've even like, they have VP of real estate, I would just start to look and say, what, what's going to work best for us individually? And then based on that, what are the ways I can support these employees? Is it a stipend for a co-working space? Is it bringing in a benefit like DustPass where you can manage different stipends based on department or even based on employee? Is it scaling down that big company office and opening smaller locations throughout the suburbs or in different neighborhoods? Maybe it's completely getting rid of the company office and instead twice a year using that money towards a, a, a twice annual retreat for employees. You know, it's 
it's a beautiful new direction. And I'm excited to see. I mean, I think in five, 10 years, we're going to look back and be like, wow, work has significantly changed. <laughs> and I'm excited to see what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you're speaking to, that ability to be like, okay, let's take a step back is similar to what you had to do with the community dashboard, right? You needed someone to say, like, hey, maybe this isn't a problem that needs to be solved, right? Or like, maybe we need to let go of the fact that we think this is the way we've always done things. And I think that the right person in that role is going to do what you did and be like, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to hold on to this just because we've always done it this way or because I think that it's really important. Um, Because I think there are people out there who are like, no, we've always done it this way. We've always worked in persons. We're always going to do it that way. And so I think that openness to trying, you know, you just listed off half a dozen options off the top of your head. And it's like, there are opportunities out there to, to really yeah, think about the best thing for the business and the employees and improve both, right? Both the bottom line and the employee experience. So I'm with you. I'm excited to see what work looks like in five years because it's already changed so much in the last five years, you know? But to take kind of a, a step in a different direction, I want to make sure we, we have time to talk about your your new exciting role. And yeah, Refresh Miami. So, you know, you talked about how you stepped back, you looked at DeskPass, you were like, had that proud bomb moment and we're ready to move on. How did you go about looking for a new role? You had been an entrepreneur for years. Like, tell us a little bit about that process. It's interesting because, you know, it was not an overnight decision, right? I didn't wake up one day and saying, I want to transition away from my own company. No, not at all. And, you know, I listened to, and it's cheesy, my heart, right? My gut. And my gut was saying, I'm ready for the next challenge. And I was looking and saying, you know, within the industry, do I want to still work in hybrid work? And I said, you know, I've been in the hybrid work, remote work industry for 10, almost 10 years. And I had this feeling that, I mean, even though I was still, you know, I could talk about it in my sleep. I was like, there's other parts of me that I enjoy, which is obviously the community building aspect, supporting entrepreneurs, being an aggregator of information and disseminating that information and learning. Learning was a huge, big part. And I think DeskPass was hitting a point as, as a company grew where, I was no longer need, like things were moving very quickly, but it was more about implementing processes than learning and rapidly evolving for my role specifically. Like as the company grew in my role, I was going to start rolling out like data analytics or people analytics. I was going to start rolling out like just a lot more big company processes. And I was like, you know what? I realized that I, I love the scale up. I love the scale up. I love the learning process. And because of my experience, I wanted to bring that to somewhere else. So I started thinking about that, but it was funny because I don't think I, I actually knew that at the forefront. I just started having these feelings inside based on the, you know, the work that I was doing. I was like, I like it, but I wasn't thrilled by it. And I just had this feeling. But then what I realized is when I looked at my teammates, I mean, before I went on maternity leave, I had hired two new people and upskilled an existing employee. And I remember even right before I went on maternity, I kind of like had, it was almost like you're in a movie and you like turn around and you just kind of like slowly nod. You're like, this is good. You know, like I had that moment where I was like, you know, like, no, I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) And then I went on maternity leave and I got back. And during maternity leave, I think there was this existential moment of like, who am I? What, you know, like I'm this mom now, but when I go back to work, like I always knew I, I wanted to continue in a career, but I was like, who am I? And then I got back and I was like, I think the person I am has evolved. And it was time. Maybe it was also that I wanted to just continue to help other people on a very granular level. But with that, it was a long way of saying I had those feelings for a few months and I just listened to them and I started to do what I do, which is sit with it, think about it and just like observe and think. So, I mean, my big thing on the week is I'll go for a very long walk, three, four hours without 
a podcast without anything, without some, I'll bring my phone, you know, just in case I break an ankle or something, who knows, but I don't listen. I just walk and I think, right. Everyone knock on wood that <laughs> totally. you, know, you don't break your ankle right. three hours from home. Without oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, glad you're taking your phone. I mean, that's it. That's is. Yeah. But I mean, okay, I just please, kind of thought about it. The I mental image imagine. of you walking through a brickle with like a broken ankle. <laughs> <laughs> And people are like, are you Sorry, okay? Sorry, such like, a like derailment. Right? But like people would be like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. I just had to think, you know, like, no, I'm like hopping along and I'm like, yeah, right. I, like, to, I just wanted to be alone. I wanted with my to phone. solve this problem. But I mean, I ultimately, what I did was I started to think, I started to ask myself the deep questions. I went back to my top five strengths, like the Gallup Clifton Strengths Finder test. And then I, I, I always, every year I do this activity where I say, what do, what do I love as a person? And what do I love to do? Um, like professionally and then see where those overlap. So I did that. I recently just did that. It's like, how do you say it? Ike guy, Ike guy, or it's the Japanese like finding. Oh yes. I actually don't know if I'm pronouncing it right either, but yeah. Okay. But I know what you're talking about. And yeah. So I did those and I started to really, you know, I created an updated profile of who I was and I recognized that the underlying theme, because I am a generalist, I, I like different things. I love travel. As you know, I love people, food and culture. I love learning about technology. So there wasn't one specific industry, but the underlying thing is I'm an aggregator of information. I'm an information synthesizer. I like getting things done. I like things being organized and efficient. So I realized that what was this soul searching, I realized that the underlying theme was operations. And that's when I had that light bulb moment go off. And ironically, at the same time, I was talking to somebody who owned a venture firm and he wanted me to be their C. He had asked me to be their COO. And I started talking with a very good friend of mine because she's in venture. And at the end of it, she was like, I think you'd be great for that role that, that you're considering. But I have to tell you, I've always wanted to hire a COO for refresh. And I, you know, you, you are that person I've always wanted to hire. And that's serendipity because I wasn't actively looking, but I was talking with people close to me about this soul searching I was doing just with the hopes. You know, I only talked to a few of my best friends and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I, I really want to go specifically into operations for a business that I care about that's making a difference. And here I am. Then I, you know, changed. I mean, I made a big change. (laughs) I mean, that's the power of of a network, right? Of building people around you that you really trust their opinion, you know, who you can rely on to give you those honest answers, but also, yeah, like, Mm -hmm. you know what they're talking about you know, who are part of your professional network as well yep. and making them friends. And it was validation too, too, right? Not just it was like, validation from people yeah. who knew me saying, yes, you can do that. And also, or like, have you thought about this type of a thing? You know, because I didn't know what I was looking for, but those conversations helped me to get a little clearer on that. And that was helpful. No. And I'm like, I'm totally an okay. processor. And so talking to like the people that I trust and you know, who are friends who have nothing to do with like tech or ops. And then people who, who I love, who a lot of whom have been on this podcast of like, can I run this by you? What do you think? You know, I think like that, those gut checks are really important, at least in my experience. So I um, love that you, yeah, kind of serendipitously, um, completely ad hopped to this role. So tell us a little bit more about Refresh Miami. What does the organization do and, and kind of what is your day going to look like as COO? So Refresh Miami is South Florida's oldest and largest organization that supports the technology and startup ecosystem. So it was started in 2006 by our founder who was having coffee with a bunch of friends in, the, in technology. And they said, look, we, we need a organization that supports this industry. And so their original goal, which still is today, is to support 
connect, grow, and educate the in the Miami tech ecosystem. So they did that originally through programs and education, right? Events, bringing people together, connecting the dots for people, helping them to grow their careers. But then over time, now it's a media organization. We have an entire news you know, organization daily. They're putting out articles about technology and startups. We have our member community. We have events. We're relaunching our events after COVID. During COVID, they stopped the events. So we're launching our signature events where once a quarter, we bring in a top-notch speaker, a world-renowned speaker to the Miami ecosystem and make these events free and accessible to all. And then we have our jobs and hiring. So those are the four pillars, news, events, member community, and jobs and hiring. And what I love about Refresh is that everybody knows Refresh if you're in Miami Tech because you get the weekly newsletter that has almost 16,000 subscribers. And it's like the pulse of Miami Tech. So if you're in tech or you want to know about it, or you're wanting to be an entrepreneur, or you're in startups, or you just care about this industry, you get the newsletter. So that's how it's a very beloved organization. With that, it's it's a nonprofit, which is interesting. I've never worked for a nonprofit. I come from a rapid growth technology yeah. company. So that was an interesting change, but it's <laughs> a beloved organization. And the biggest thing is, you know, the founder, executive director, they are huge leaders in, in the ecosystem here. And the thing is, is they have other, they have literally other jobs. And so they brought me on to take advantage of all the opportunities that come our way at Refresh and just make things run smoother and to be able to scale. So I came in to optimize the business, help scale the organization, ultimately having a larger impact in Miami, which results in people finding technology jobs, people getting information they need to advance their career in technology really just being an aggregator and a supporter. So what I'll say is, because you asked, you know, what what do I do on a day-to-day basis? And what I really was interesting is I had never come in as a COO to a new organization. Like, and it was a blank slate. Like they were like, here's what we currently do. You know, let's optimize it. But they didn't say, where are we going? I mean, they know where the organization, and so what was cool is the first Almost maybe like 30, 45 days, I was just an obsessive, like heads down research mode, interviewing our members or, you know, asking, collecting feedback from our members, talking with teammates. And I put together an entire 2023 roadmap of where the organization will go from here. And every single pillar I went through and said, okay, this is working. This is not working well. Here's my suggestions. And ultimately I put together this entire roadmap with suggestions, you know, went back to the executive director and founder. And presented it to them and was like, here's kind of like my findings. And they were like, yeah, yeah. let's do it. Like, and now we are little by little, you know, <laughs> checking things yeah. off the list. And that to me was deeply satisfying. And the last little thing I'll say is the first few days, like I, I was already getting pulled into calls where, and I just wanted like 45 days to be like heads down, do all of this. But what I liked about it is that I'm glad I wasn't operating in a vacuum. I'm glad that I was doing my research and strategy planning at the same time, also being involved right away with calls about partnership, about um, all the d- business operations, because it helped me to evolve my perspective. And that some of the suggestions I had in the first week were very different from what I had 60 days later, after I, I understood how the business had operated, what its pain points were. And now I feel extremely comfortable. But I mean, I, I love that process, that discovery that aggregation of information, turning it into a strategy. And now we have this plan. I mean, I look at our roadmap multiple times a day to to double check, like, are we not only on track with what I propose, but are these new initiatives in line with that? So I just kind of made like the treasure map. And now we're we're, we're going down that. Yeah, we're doing it, which is crazy and cool. Yeah, no. And it's like, I... 
see here so much overlap in how you're describing the COO role in my own general manager role. And I think like, and you know, and I, I just can't help but think like you're making the role your own again. Right. And what the business needs. Right. Because like, like you said, like there's, it's a nonprofit structure. So it's a little bit different. There isn't like a CEO, but also like the founder and executive director, like they have like day jobs, right? Like they have other things on their plate. And so you're, you know, leading strategy and road mapping and maybe a slightly different way than some other COOs would, because that's what the business needs and that's what you're good at. And, you know, that's like similar to how I feel where it's like, yeah, because, you know, tech ladies are hard and we're part of like a bigger organization. Like we don't, we don't have a CEO who's focused on the business. So that's what I'm doing. So we'll have to, we'll have to compare notes later, but even more so. But no, that was great. Thanks for walking us in there. I think sometimes approaching a new role, especially when it is kind of like a step up or, you know, in a different from, you know, your first COO role, it can be really intimidating. So it's always interesting to hear how people approach it. Yeah, it's a lot. I think the only thing I would say if I could talk, I I mean, honestly, what was that movie with Will Ferrell where he's like giving the speech? He's like, what happened? I blacked out. Like he like he was like so in the zone that he just forgot. (laughs) I actually think of that as like Uh my first like 30 days on the job. I was I mean, I literally worked through the holidays. I did not want to take off because I was so loving the heads down time. The only thing I would say is that this organization, everybody was part time. Like, I mean, even the executive director and I'm the only full time person but we have multiple contractors. We have an entire team. I mean, it's a big team, but it's it's a medium-sized team, but they're all part-time in some way. And so I came in and was like moving fast. And what I love is that my team, I mean, they knew that it was all with good intentions, but you know, I had team that say, we went from a very casual, slower moving organization to operating like a very mm-hmm. efficient company. And they all said the same thing. I love it. I'm glad because we're doing great work, but it happened quickly. Right. And I think maybe the only thing I would say is that I, I, I wouldn't say that I didn't involve people along the way. Cause I absolutely did. I think it was like, the one thing I didn't know is how, I wouldn't say slow, but I mean, nonprofit part-time workers versus high growth technology skill. Yeah, <laughs> so it's different. I think I would have just been a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even I think I would have just asked for more pulse piece. checks along the way. I think that would be my one thing just because I was in go mode, but I remember like nobody else was. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally. especially around the holidays, but you're like, no, I'm so they were probably like, get a life woman, you know? <laughs> on totally. brand, Nicole, on brand. <laughs> go home. <laughs> go home. Don't you have a kid? Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm like, like yeah, home. he's right here. He's literally on my arm, but I'm still working. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on brand. Well, before we wrap up, I always like to ask, um, you know, I feel like, you just gave some great advice for that in particular, but is there any other advice that you would like to give to someone who maybe wants to kind of do the work that you, who is mm-hmm. thinking about a more senior people ops role or maybe transitioning from people ops to like a COO role? It's interesting. I actually think, I mean, what, getting into operations, yes. I mean, look, there's a specific path you can take, right? I'm sure there's lots of blogs and articles and like even career counselors that can tell you, okay, this is what you need to do to actually do those things. My thing would, would be my personal suggestion because there is so many resources about that like career path I would say just ask yourself you know what is your personality what it, what do you actually like to do for example like I when I was thinking of the COO role I actually started looking at online of, of roles of COO and I, I started looking at other roles right chief strategy officer investment relations tangential roles to myself so I started looking at job descriptions and I started weeding out I actually don't like those responsibilities. I really like those responsibilities. And and then I went and did all of those self-identity activities to make sure that I was on the right path. So 
my thing is whenever I make big decisions, it's all calculated and weighed out and it's, it's logical, right? You have to make smart decisions, but I think it has to be weighed against a healthy dose of like, who am I? What do I want to be doing? And if that means diving deep on your own, using some tools, like a, a few surveys or asking people that are close to your people you've worked with, I think there needs to be at least for me, that's how I've always made decisions. There's the strategic, logical, right? You can't not have that aspect. But then the other half is just know thyself, you know? I mean, true. Because don't you ultimately want to be doing work that you care about and you like? So, but I'll stop there. Yeah, no. And I think that that's a great thread to this whole conversation, right? How to like actually follow, I don't know, follow your heart sounds so cheesy, but like following your passion or your where you're engaged, you know, like the things that matter to you. And so I guess maybe the the final question here is on the flip side, what are you working on this year that you'd like advice on? What should listeners reach out to help with? Well, I know you're amazing at this because you won an award from Zapier about automation, which is incredible. Props <laughs> to that. No, I, mean, I think for me, we are making all the changes. So that's exciting. But I think once that's done, and in my mind, yeah, the organization is running very, very smoothly that's when I want to make it run even more smooth. So I want to be looking into more automation. So once we have the processes smoothed out, I'd love to have an outsider come in and be like, well, this can actually be automated or this can be done through a better software. Because right now it's just, we need to fix up the car so it runs. But then maybe at that point, someone says, well, maybe you just need, I don't know. I don't know why it shows a car. It's a horrible thing. <laughs> like Horrible. Like, I just wanted to be- Sports, cars. Uh, I don't know. I think we peaked yes, with the lily pads. From there. But I mean, like, I want someone to come in and be like, maybe you just need a new, I don't know, engine or just get a different car, right? (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think think that analogy works. I think it works. Well, no, I mean, I think it's great that you're approaching the process first. I think that's the the number one mistake I think people make with automations is they try to automate before they they know what they need to automate, right? So so I think you're I think you're on the right path. And I'm sure we have lots of no coders out here when you're ready who are gonna be excited to help you with that. So Nicole, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me. It's Thank you, great. Carol. You're awesome. Back at you. I can't wait to, to follow your journey at Refresh Miami and all the great stuff that you get up to this year. So, um, so yeah, thanks again for joining and thanks everybody for listening. Yes, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Opsy. You can find resources and links from this episode in the show notes at opsy.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll take a second to join our free community where we share resources and opportunities that help us all level up in our ops careers. Again, that link is opsy.work. Until next time, stay opsy, friends.